today on my first concert. And he takes us like into the third to the back row, a mile and a half. <laughs> so we're sitting back there and I'm going, wow, how come we're back here? We were so early. And I look and there appears to be an exchange happening between people coming in and, and the Mater D. I said, you know, maybe you're supposed to tip, tip this guy to get decent seats. So, you know, I, I probably reached deep and came up with $10. Welcome to the Aquarius Home Services Studios. Dave Mona traveled on a train with a bunch of young rock and rollers to see the Beatles. Great story. He's going to tell you about that today. He's our guest. And those of you who know Dave remember him as a longtime co-host of the Sports Hut, along with Sid Hartman on multiple radio stations throughout the Midwest on Sunday mornings. Dave still works Viking games, but also is a longtime member of the University of Minnesota Gopher football broadcast, former beat writer for the Twins. But what I did not know, he was a very young music critic for the Minneapolis Tribune. Dave joins us today on My First Concert. We love having you listening to this show. It's available at Apple, Spotify, TalkNorth.com, wherever you get your podcasts. Aquarius Home Services, it's no surprise once you recognize how they conduct their business, how successful they are, whether it be a furnace or plumbing or Connecticut water and more. They're one of our great sponsors. And by the way, that free test of water could be a game changer for your house. So I would do that like I did years ago. And also, it's brought to you by the folks at Propane.com, where environmentally, very important things are happening that we'll touch on later. AquariusHomeServices.com, Minnesota Propane, and also brought to you by StarBank.net, a wonderful partner to have in your financial life. You'll get to know them, too. Great people. StarBank.net. It's our bank here at Talk North. Lee here along with producer Brianne Burdett. Hi, Brianne. Hey. Dave Mona, welcome. Hey, nice to be alongside you again. It's been a while. It has been a while. It's great to see you again now. First things first, what was that first concert? First concert was uh, Met Stadium was new, so I'm dating myself. Yeah. And somebody came up with the idea, well, you obviously could play baseball there. It was minor league baseball, the Minneapolis Millers. And some enterprising person said, I wonder what it would sound like if we put music in here. So they came up with something called Music Under the Stars. We lived in South Minneapolis, and my mother and father said, we're going to go to a concert at the ballpark. I said, really? Who's who's singing or who's playing? They said, it's Harry Belafonte. And Harry Belafonte was a big deal at the time. I said, well, it sounds like fun. So my father, mother, sister, and I went out to the, I think it was the first ever concert at Met Stadium. It was, it was a great night. It was a, one of those beautiful starlit nights, and it, it absolutely worked. It was Music Under the Stars. You know, you make me think, outdoor concerts we take them for granted i i wonder that had to be one of the early ones i'd never heard of an outdoor concert that was what was unique about it and i thought it might be fun i'd been to the venue for a miller's game yeah uh, a year later like mike lynch i became a vendor at the at the ballpark no i didn't you did yeah so uh i used to hitchhike out cedar avenue i lived pretty close to the ballpark <laughs> and so go out there and work but this was just uh, an idea i remember thinking an outdoor who ever heard of an outdoor concert this might be fun Man. So what were you vending? Everything? Uh, usually popcorn. Uh, yeah. That was, uh, you, know, you had to get there and, and make it. And, uh, you know, we're too young to sell anything that brought in any uh, good commissions. But you go home with about, you know, $12 and change, which was more than I made by going to the airport <laughs> looking in the coin returns from the pay phones. So it seemed like a step up. Uh, I still remember our, our co-worker, Mike Lynch, talking about, he was a vendor, as you mentioned, at Met Stadium. And Harmon Killerbrew followed the ball off. And, of course, you're not looking at the game all the time. And he was selling nuts. And I'll leave it at that. But, yeah. you know, it kind of... It, yeah. it, so Harmon hit him in the nut bin, basically. <laughs> and, and I was with him when he told Harmon that story. 
I had nothing that exciting. <laughs> so the first concert, you see that, yep. and you remember uh, going with your family and and uh, getting over to that. What was it? What followed up after that? Uh, probably a long dry spell. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I uh, would go to a few uh, concerts, but concerts, you know, in some ways they weren't as common. In other ways they were. There were places like the Flame Cafe. I wasn't old enough to go in there, but you look at old papers and see who, you know, who they had in their stars. And you played country music in Fargo for a while, and so you know that, but, you know, names that you look at and you say, man, I know it's two bucks. I could have heard Marvin Rainwater or going <laughs> to sure. find me a bluebird, yeah. or, you know, Johnny <laughs> Cash and all these people would come through, and I really didn't go to them. I don't think I really got back into music till I was at the University of Minnesota and hung out at Kaufman Union a lot because I was a commuter student. And at noontime at Kaufman, they decided they had a nice venue outside to bring in visiting acts to the Twin Cities. So I'd have a bag lunch and I'd go out there, and these groups you never heard of, like Peter, Paul, and Mary, would be out there, and there'd be like twenty of us uh, <laughs> listening. Uh, so it was it was kind of a time of folk music. So the uh, Chad Mitchell trio uh brothers four peter paul and mary uh you know would fairly regularly be there and then uh ian and sylvia who became two of my favorites uh they were at the padded cell and i wasn't 21 but i snuck into the padded cell and that might have been one of my you know first concerts where i actually was in a venue other than a free concert like at the union yeah, I would think folk acts were big at yeah. that time, especially considered what's happening uh, nationally and exactly. internationally with yeah. the Vietnam War and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, I really want to know, Dave, about your career as a music critic. I mean, a reviewer. I'm not exactly how sure how you described it, but it was it was strange. Uh, the the term, I worked for the Minneapolis Tribune. I got hired there after I got out of uh, the University of Minnesota, and I thought I'd be a sports writer. And they actually offered me a job either as a sports writer or a news writer. And Daryl Feldmeyer, the managing editor, Sid had called me when I came back from Europe and said, "Hey, we got an opening in the sports department." He knew me from the Daily, where I was sports editor. So I went in to interview with Sid, and I ran into Daryl Feldmeyer, the managing editor who I'd met at a banquet uh, one night he said oh Mona you must have gotten my email or my letters and I said I'm sorry I, I don't remember any letters he said well, I got hold of your sister and she said I could send in care of American Express in Rome and uh, anyway he said I was inviting you to come in for a, a job interview and I said well that's why I'm here to talk to Sid Mar- I said Harmon he said Sid can wait let's talk <laughs> and, uh, and he said when we're done then you can talk to Sid and he said I'm going to offer you a job and so is he so he said uh, you can think about it and take whichever one you want and basically Sid assumed I was going to take the sports job and Daryl said look you're a decent writer but you got room for improvement if you're going to work on the sports beat on Friday you're going to be covering South and Washburn playing football at Parade Stadium and you'll never get to be a better writer than you are today if you come to work for the news side do some general interest stuff for us we'll give you a big variety of stuff you'll work with the best copy desk in the world we'll turn you into a decent writer and if at any time there's an opening in the sports department you want to take it you'll be the first in line but I'd encourage you to take the job in the news department now go talk to Sid and make up your own mind <laughs> so I did but but your conversation with Sid who was you know sometimes quite forceful he was uh, incredulous <laughs> that, that I would have any uh, decision making uh, hardship uh, out of that for him uh, he had it all planned out and then I had to call him the next day and say I'm going to work for the news side he said you're going to regret it the rest of your life <laughs> with some other pep talk like that uh, and 
<laughs> and so I started there, and you know, I did weather stories, traffic stories, mm-hmm. the, the human interest things. But I always kept my eye open for stories that were fun to write. They were called readers, and they were not the kind that were terribly important, but they'd be interesting. Uh, I noticed that uh, uh, I think it was Highway 74 from Elba to Weaver was the most closed road in Minnesota going through the Whitewater Forest. So I suggested, why don't you do a story on uh, Highway 74 from Elba to Weaver? So I went down. I remember I was talking to somebody in Elba, and I said, what do you think about that? And he said, why would anybody want to go to Weaver? And so I think that might might have been my lead. But uh, stories like that. And then I think it occurred to them that this is a little different kind of guy. I didn't necessarily want to be a political reporter. I just wanted to write the the fun, interesting stories. Mm -hmm. And what was happening in the music scene, I mean, the music reviewers would do the orchestra, and they would do, you know, visiting major acts. But a lot of what was touring at the time, rock was really going to establish the British uh, wave was, was coming around. And these concerts were coming to the Twin Cities, most of them at the Minneapolis Auditorium, but but other places. And they went to the normal music reviewer and the drama reviewer, and they both said, "It's not our thing. We 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 don't we don't like it. We don't know it. You probably ought to cover it, but you know we just, we wouldn't want to do it. We want to lend our name to it." Yeah, that was an interesting dynamic at that time, wasn't it? It, it really was. Yeah. It never occurred to me. So I remember getting called in and said, "You like music, don't you?" And I said, "Yeah, I, I really do like music." And said, "Well, would you be interested in going to these concerts and doing reviews for us?" So I said, "Absolutely." And with some regularity for probably the next two or three years till I transferred in the sports department, wound up going to the concerts, getting front row or row two if it was a bad uh, seating situation. And, you know, all these concerts, I remember, I think the first one I went to was a, uh, a double header. It was Herman's Hermits and the Animals. And Eric Burden and the Animals, House of the Rising Sun. I mean, that was probably in the top two or three on the national hit chart, really a dynamic group. And, you know, and it was fun to see how the, the crowd got in the audience and so I kind of got hooked on it, and over the course of the next, oh, probably three years, I probably did a couple of dozen uh, of those reviews. Uh, Herman's Hermits, happy, dancing, and animals, serious, and kind of the... A real change. Cutting edge, yeah. yeah volume, wow. decibel volume went way up. Crowd was very polite, enjoyed Herman's Hermits, a lot of melodic kinds of things. And then out came Eric Burden and the animals. And with the first note, you know, this is going to be different. <laughs> yeah. Hold that thought because there's a, a young Minnesotan that you had a chance to review one of his concerts Ooh, that everybody's going to know. Uh, our thanks to propane.com for uh, bringing you this podcast, my first concert. And a diverse energy mix provides reliability and affordability for all of us, which is extremely important. And you think about Minnesota particularly, where we have four distinct seasons, uh, particularly this year as we look at the weather we've had. Fortunately, a clean energy solution for tomorrow is available today, and the answer is propane. It produces propane produces 43% fewer emissions than the equivalent amount of electricity generated from the U.S. grid and requires no additional infrastructure investments. Isn't that something? You think about that for a minute. You go, I, I didn't know that. Well, you can go to propane.com and learn more. Minnesota needs to use all of our low-carbon alternatives. We all know that. But that includes propane to safely provide reliable and affordable energy. So right now, propane... That's the right energy. Find out more. And I know if you're like me, you're intrigued the first time you heard this or read this, you're going, i got to learn more about that. Propane.com. It's that simple. Propane.com. Today on my first concert, Dave Mona. And uh, David, okay, uh, so... you started doing the music reviews mm-hmm. for the Star, for the Tribune. The Tribune. Tribune, Pre- which is now the Star Tribune. Right. Yep. And then... Uh, 
tell me about uh, the kid from Hibbing. Well, uh, my bosses, who you know, kind of liked uh, what I was doing, and they were getting pretty good feedback from. They were, even then, they were trying to appeal to a younger audience, fearing that newspapers would be an aging audience, and so yeah. they, they wanted to reach a younger audience. And it's kind of funny at this stage of my life, thinking I was ever part of that movement. But uh, nevertheless, uh, you know, they they started looking for advanced opportunities, and I, I was reading who was coming to town. I was big into folk music at the time, so you know, I'd heard a lot of the Peter Paul Mary Kingston Trio, uh, Chad Mitchell Trio, Joan Baez, Judy. Collins. In fact, I'd reviewed some of their concerts. So they said, how would you like to do Bob Dylan? Well, they were all debuting Bob Dylan music at the time. He was the hot new writer and blowing in the wind and things like that was part of everybody's repertoire. So I said, absolutely. You know, local angle. I'd, I'd love to review the concert. So I went to the Bob Dylan concert and I remember came back and was writing for the morning edition, which means you're writing. About was he living here at the time or was no, he, he's out in New York? already gone okay. New York. And, uh, you know, was, was on, on deadline and I started you know writing it and I thought, this this sounded kind of negative. I actually sort of enjoyed the concert, but what I wound up saying is that the guy was a, a great, almost a poet laureate type guy. And the words, the the creativity of what he was putting was no wonder he was being copied by everyone else. Also, maybe no wonder because his singing in no way at that time matched uh, the quality of his writing. So I was fairly critical of, uh, and the fact that you know he he paid no attention to the audience, which he was that way through much of his career. He he got up and he, he sang and and, and very little. In Interchange in those days, people were joking with the audience. So, I probably made a comment about that, wrote it, um, forgot about it. I don't think it was necessarily my best work. And then the internet was invented, <laughs> and uh, it shows up about once every five years. Uh, and, uh, and I've had people I'd never met before say, "Mona." Did you write a Bob Dylan once? I mean, it's circulated way beyond this. This not among his favorites, and I've never met him. To, I wouldn't apologize. I still stand by what I said, but I don't think it was one of his favorite early reviews, especially coming back to his hometown. <laughs> uh, that's awesome that, that they bring that back up. So, among other reviews, anything notable? One of, one of my wife's Linda's favorites was uh, Peter Paul and Mary, and we were at the Minneapolis Auditorium. And you know, you've been on stage, the bright light shining in your face. So, so if you're giving a speech, a lecture, panel, what have you, some people, somebody in the audience you can see, and you look to that person for feedback. Well, Paul Stuckey, with us in row one, could see Linda. So he sang the whole concert to Linda, <laughs> winked at her, smiled at her. She was she was impressed but embarrassed about. It. But we've always talked about how much fun that was, and we, uh, you know, we just had. Uh, multiple opportunities uh, to do that and from time to time we got to meet some of the artists Paul Revere and the Raiders uh, came to town and uh, often the review was not you didn't get to go backstage you sat there you did the review and you went away but from time to time the promoter might say hey would you like to meet so and so that was a case so we did that and the, and the guys were fascinating uh, ahead of time and it really frankly helped in the review give you backstories that you could you could fit into to the music so or into the review so uh, some of that I would say those uh, stood out but the, the Beatles was probably Probably the uh, epitome or low point of uh, of my music reviewing career. Okay, hang on to that thought because I can't wait to. I don't know this story, and I know Dave pretty well. I don't know this story, so I'm anxious to hear about that. Our bank here at Talk North is Star Bank, dependable friend to have. I actually, have real people answering the phone over there, and they have the same commitment you do to your community. That's been a big deal through these years with Star Bank. That's why they're so successful. Ten communities around the Twin Cities, including here in Minneapolis, St. Paul. But they certainly have a wide range of solutions. So if you've got a goal set up, a financial goal, uh, they get that. They've been there. They've done it. And if you like doing everything on the app... uh, 
I think we all like the handiness of that, the convenience of it. They have the virtual bank branch in the palm of your hand, just like uh, we all want right now. But I could, and that's so that's any time, day or night. But what I could tell you is when you go into the banks, when you go into the banks, you're going to recognize how important you are to them. And then when you walk out, you're going to think, gosh, that was really nice uh, meeting the folks in there. And you'll know their names. Local farmers, you know how they've supported you through the years, ag-related businesses. But maybe you're looking for the perfect home. Talk to the folks at Star Bank. They're our bank here at TalkNorth.com. Star Bank. Member FDIC and equal housing lender. Dave Mona's with us on my first concert. Okay, David, you hop on a train, you go to see the Beatles. you got to hear the backstory on this. So I'm looking in the newspaper, which at that time had heavy advertising, entertainment pages. You remember, you know, the the movie theaters, yeah. the whole page, radio stations around there. and. Upcoming concerts come, and the Beatles were making. And I don't remember anymore. It was their first or second U.S. tour. The closest they were going to come was Chicago, and they were they were obviously a huge story, a hot story. And I was listening to KDWB Channel 63, and the Bobby Reed Swing Train was promoting a trip to <laughs> Chicago. Uh, and I went to the editors and I said. How about if I get on the, the train and write about the trip to Chicago and do a review of the Beatles? And they said, great idea. You know, so I got on there, and it was mostly teenage girls, uh, way too young to be trained by themselves, so their parents, who I spent probably more time with than I did. And we went to the, uh, we went to the it might have been the Chicago Arena, I'm trying to remember where it was, and uh, I think Bobby Heeb uh, did the... the pre-show and the Beatles came out I thought this is going to be interesting and I never heard a word for the next hour I was the first concert I'd ever been to where people not only stood stood on chairs and screamed by recognizing the first note of I want to hold your hand <laughs> and you heard the first note and you never heard another thing it was absolutely deafening and it was experience the likes of which I'd never seen before. Now, a lot of people subsequently went to many concerts that probably fit that description, but it was so different from Harry Belafonte. (laughs) (laughs) I remember thinking, this this is a a turning point in in music. If this is what concerts are going to be like, it is so different from anything I'd ever experienced before. And I wrote about it and got a lot of feedback from people who said, yeah, I saw segments of it on TV. I wonder what it was like inside. It was it was absolutely deafening. They would not have needed the person the metronome says make noise and they turned up the decibel <laughs> yeah, meter. No it help. was right up there at airplane level for the, the entire concert. How long did they play? Uh, you know, I bet it was only 50 minutes. Yeah. They only had about 12 hits uh, at the time. They were, you know, they were so new but everything they, you know, everything they, they did charted, uh, and they they were having fun. I mean, it was, that was a stage of their life. I think they were in awe at how they were being received uh, here in the U.S. They they certainly had been acknowledged in Europe and in England before that, but coming to the U.S. where they may not have known quite how big they were, and this was one of the early concerts on the tour, and I had my binoculars, and I could look at them, and, and you know, for a while I thought they were lip-syncing because it wouldn't have made much difference, but they were joking with one another and, and clearly enjoying it at, at that early part of their career. Boy, you bring up a good point. Don Shelby has talked about this before this is, as well as, you know, who changed music. Oh. And and you just touched on it. Be- the Beatles were changing everything. Yeah, there's just, it was, and, a, and reaching a younger crowd. I mean, this crowd, a lot of them were 12, 13, and 14 years old. Probably never been on a train, maybe never been outside Minnesota. So the experience of going there, you know, and I wish I'd saved my ticket stubs and what have you because of this, the memorabilia connected with that. It's a turning point in music history. I wonder what they charged for a concert like that back in the day. I don't remember. I think it was pretty pricey. It might have been five, six dollars. <laughs> 
<laughs> which at the time yeah. was pricey, but they would sell out. Wow. So the train ride home. Uh, a lot of sleeping. <laughs> we might have left. I don't remember. Right after the we show? We might have left at midnight. We might have you know, taken the night. So train. no overnight. You just uh, go. No. We, we, I think we went down there, saw the concert, and, and came back. And there was relatively good train service at that time between the Twin Cities and Chicago. There were multiple uh, trains per day. And obviously, at this point, they'd already been on the Ed Sullivan show. Yeah. So they absolutely had. They were a must-see band. Mm-hmm. Man, and it, was it later they came to the Met yes. Stadium? Yeah. And stayed, it was at the Leamington where they stayed? or It was downtown. It might have Curtis or the Leamington, I think. Yeah, because I've read some stories about just the fans at the hotel. Oh, yeah. And what that was like. Well, and sneaking them in back entrances because well. people had the, the doors all staked out. So after the Beatles... Mm-hmm. Um, was everything kind of a letdown at that point, or did, did were you able to still find intriguing shows to review? You know, that was near. Uh, it was probably well, it was probably a year before I went on to the sports beat, so there were there were relatively few, no, certainly nothing of of that size uh, afterwards. And we got married in uh, 1968 and went on a driving uh, vacation uh, west during a, a break in the in the baseball season. And uh, was at Caesar's Palace where Sid said, "Where are you going on your honeymoon?" I said, "Caesar's Palace." He said, "I got connections." here. He said, just, I'll take care of it. So we go there and go to the desk and say, yeah, I'm a Sid Hartman sent us. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> the connections didn't turn out to get us the best room. But uh, one of the funny things, Tony Bennett was singing at Caesars in their, their main uh, arena. And he was a big name uh, then and he remains to this day. And yeah, I remember still saying, relevant. Yeah, I remember saying to Linda, we should go hear Tony Bennett. She said, let's do it. So we go to the ticket office and buy a couple of tickets to Tony Bennett. And it says it starts at like 8 o'clock. So being from Minnesota, we get there at 720 and there's nobody there. <laughs> and uh, so at about, uh, and so maybe they open the doors at a quarter or two and we go in and, uh, and the seats were like by section, not by uh, number. So I go in and we're, you know, we got the whole lot of term to choose from. And the Mater D says, um, can I help you? And we said, yeah, we've got tickets. And he takes us like into the third to the back row, a mile and a half. <laughs> so we're sitting back there and I'm going, wow, how come we're back here? We were so early. And I look and there appears to be an exchange happening between people coming in and, and the Mater D. I said, you know, maybe you're supposed to tip, tip this guy to get decent seats. So, you know, I, I probably reached deep and came up with $10 and, and we moved up to probably the front of the worst part of the, uh, of the room. But Tony Bennett, you know, at that time did a great thing and you knew I mean you were in the presence of somebody who was uh, already had great credentials and and that was a that was a big time show with a band and an MC and lighting and that sort of thing so that was that was uh, one of those uh, things along the way that uh, uh, you know that's that stuck out was Neil Diamond one of the higher energy ones that you saw Neil Diamond was the f- was the first of his kind that we saw we saw it at Met Center and we'd never seen a light show uh, I mean we'd seen lights but we'd never seen lasers and and some of the new pyrotechnics uh, and he, he came in with all of that mm. and put on a show that was really really entertaining and again, again quite different and very similar to shows that, that came five years later but I think he was at the front end of that yeah he uh, I saw his last concert which I think he billed you know you, you never really buy that right. but so far he hasn't done one since and there was no pyrotechnics or anything. He just kind of st- stood yeah. on the stage a little bit. He was he still sounded great, yeah. but I'd never seen him. So I said, I got to see him, Neil Diamond. So those were 
dedicated fans going to those concerts, aren't they? I mean, Neil Diamond fans are, as many bands have that, but right. Neil Diamond fans are like for, forever. Yeah, and, and slightly, I would agree with that. And a little bit of the difference was they're there to hear the music. I mean, if I have a taste of music, it's probably the more melodic things where I like mm-hmm. to, to hear. I like story songs, which is probably why I like folk music and country music. And with Neil Diamond, I mean, there were, the audience was very appreciative, and there was a lot of singing along, Miss Sweet Caroline, everybody knew all the words of things, but you could still hear the singer. I mean, going to some concerts that we've done in the last few years, we've come out of there and said, wow, I mean, it's so loud in there. Uh, yeah. You a sign of your, and everybody stands. Uh, we were uh, at uh, Harvey McKay's birthday a couple of months ago at uh, Elton John, and Harvey didn't get tickets on the floor because somebody advised him, look, your average people are aged down there probably 65 plus. Everyone on the f- floor is going to stand the whole time, and they're going to be upset. So we had great tickets, but they were they were in an area where we could actually sit down and, and enjoy the music. Yeah, yeah, the standing up thing. Yeah, is of course you know I I'm sure I was as probably guiltier than anyone as a young punk going to some of those concerts and standing up, but it was just the nature. Of course, that was festival seating. Oh yeah, <laughs> just meant, festival seating was dangerous. <laughs> Let me share a story that I didn't I didn't tee up for you, but you'll know the person involved. So. For 10 years, Linda and I put on something called Camden's Concert. Mm-hmm. Which was I was going to ask you about that, yeah. Our, our grandson who had cystic fibrosis. And so we got to invite the the acts, and I was a big fan of the Statler Brothers. And the Statler Brothers had broken up, but I realized that Jimmy Fortune was still doing concerts as a single act. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I liked Jimmy Fortune, and so I thought, well, I don't know anything about concert promotion. Uh, let's see if I can track down Jimmy Fortune. So I go on the internet, and I find his agent. So I call her, and she's in Missouri, and I said, she said, answered the phone, and it sounded like a homemaker and probably <laughs> making something in the kitchen, and uh, Gladys Van Dyke. And uh, she said, hello, and I said, hi, uh, I don't know if you're the right person, but I'm trying to get some information on possibly booking Jimmy Fortune. I came across your name and phone number on the internet. She said, yeah, yeah, I work with Jimmy. She said, I'd be happy to talk to you about it. She said, just a minute, I'm, I'm, I'm busy in the kitchen. She says, uh, hold on just a second. Uh, she says, Leroy, Leroy, could, could, could you turn down the stove? And, and I said... Leroy Van Dyke? And I, <laughs> thank you. I said to her, Leroy Van Dyke is, is your husband? She said, you ever heard him? And I said, the auctioneer walk on by? Of course I have. She said, just a minute, Leroy, this guy knows who you are. <laughs> <laughs> so, so working with Gladys, we were able to, to book uh, Jimmy Fortune, but I know you probably played some Leroy Van Dyke and Fargo. Oh, well, the auctioneer was like a must. People were listening. And, and when I first played, I didn't know the song, and I didn't know Leroy Van Dyke. And his fans I were, got his phone number if you want to talk. Well, yeah, give him a call. <laughs> I certainly got to know who he was. That's for sure. Yeah, the auctioneer. Yeah, Brianne, I bet you've never heard it. Is it like The Gambler by Kenny Rogers? Oh, no, it's no, a little I'm more up-tempo. I'm just kidding. A little yeah, more up-tempo. I haven't heard that. Yeah, listen to it sometime. I think you get a kick out of it, The Auctioneer. And Walk and By, which is really right. a good song. Yeah. Wow, Gladys Van Dyke. I, <laughs> I, just, I couldn't wait to tell my wife. And she, I got off the phone, she says, what was that about? And I said, you're not going to believe it. I'm going to ask you about Camden's concerts. Sure. Because you had a number of people besides Jimmy Fortune come in and how that all of a sudden you go from music critic to booking yep. uh, acts. And so we'll talk to Dave Moan about that in a second. Hey, uh, now's the time. The holiday season has moved on, but your furnace is still working as hard as it was during uh, the holidays. So make sure you're staying comfy and cozy. And I could tell you about Aquarius Home Services because what they'll do is come out, and I, I do this. In fact, I recently did it. I do it every year, obviously, but I haven't come up and to come out and tune up the furnace, and uh, just to make sure that everything's right and proper and good. But it extends the life 
of your furnace, and you don't want to, you know, if you don't have to buy a new furnace, that's a bonus. This just kind of makes it last longer. And they're really good at what they do. They often have opportunities for you to save money on that, too. And uh, that, I mean, you talk about a company that's earned the right to be recommended. That's Aquarius, homeservices.com. So I'd stop by over there. And, and now, better yet, have them stop by your house, AquariusHomeServices.com. They'll come out, no matter where you are in the metro, and they'll take a look at everything. I would ask about the Connecticut worry-free water, too. I mean, they can fix problem water, whether it's city water, it's well water. It doesn't matter if, if the community next to you, their water might be different than what you have in your town. So I would make sure that I, I get it tested for free. Why wouldn't you, right? Because I've had that Connecticut uh, worry-free water since, man, I, I guess, think about it, well over 20 years. And it is worry-free because I, I really don't worry about anything. <laughs> I remember a buddy of mine calling me one time saying, hey, I don't think the, I don't think the water softener works because it's non-electric. It's Connecticut, obviously, kinetic energy involved. I said, why do you say that? Well, it's hardly using any salt. I said, that's what it does. And that, that was a legitimate call. Very funny. Anyway, find out more. Go to AquariusHomeServices.com. We're broadcasting from the AquariusHomeServices.com studio. Dave Mona's with us. Brianna's with us. For years, you started a concert, you and Linda, uh, for your grandson, Cystic fibrosis, which you just touched on, but you kept it going for a, a while. And I know Kathy Matei and some others were there. Tell us about becoming a booker. It was different. Uh, we, uh, Camden, uh, who's, who's 15 years old now, and did the impossible, he outgrew cystic fibrosis, which can't happen, but it did in his case. But he was diagnosed at birth. And I'd been on the cystic fibro- fibrosis board many years earlier, never knew anybody who had it. And it, it's a very serious disease. So we, we read up on it, and we said, we want to do something. And we met with the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation people, and they said, great. Almost all of our funding, it's an orphan disease. It's only got 30,000 uh, patients nationwide, doesn't qualify for federal funding. So they said most of the money comes from family events. So we said, well, you know, give us some examples. And they said, well, there's 21 walks, and there's 14 stair climbs, and there's 11 golf tournaments, and on and on. And we said, well, that's great, uh, but we'd like to do something different. And they said, well, b- give us an idea, and if, if it sounds good, let's run with it. So because Linda and I both like music, we said, well, what if we, what if we put on a concert and just invited our Facebook friends and other people and, and see how it does if we can raise some money? And so uh, we went to a, a local duo, Neil and Leandra, who are still friends of ours today, who were big at the time, and, and they said they would be interested, so we booked them at the Hopkins Center for the Arts. And then we, uh, we did one of the smartest things. Uh, we went to the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation people and said, look, how much money do you need to make to make it be worthwhile? And they said, you know, we wish more people would ask that question because you work so hard and you make $1,500 and we burn our staff out. So they said, you know, the, the number is like $10,000. If you can make 10000 or more, it's worth doing. So the first year, I think we made about $25,000. Wow. And, and then we... we we decided that we would sunset it. We do it for ten years because almost nothing should last forever, and people can hang in there with you. If, you know, there's an end in sight. So over the next few years, we had um, Susie Bogus a couple of times. We had the Wright Brothers, who were a popular local band, with Jimmy Fortune uh, a couple of times. Uh, we had a somebody a duo from Canada. We'd met on the Irish Music Cruise, and we were able to go for ten years. And you know, I'm really proud of the fact that over those ten years, thanks to a loyal support of a sponsors and, and a, a viewing audience. We were able to raise eight hundred three thousand dollars for wow. cystic fibrosis research. Wow! 
And and then in the in the so booking the acts was more of a labor of love for you. Yeah, it, it was. It's a bit of a negotiation uh, involved. There's uh, usually an agent involved, and sometimes there's a little bit of a discount rate. But we we had a budget, and we're always able to work within the budget. Eighteen wheels and a dozen roses. Yeah, I, Kathy I, it's, it's I, I love that song, and uh, that's yeah, that was one of her songs. Yeah, that bring him in uh, where the husband and wife get separated on different floors and an uh, aging facility, and they're both kind of have dementia, and they talk about you know getting them together, and uh, that that song there wasn't a dry eye in the house, and Kathy does that so well. You never saw Sinatra, no. Right, you never saw Elvis. No, I just watched the movie, by the way. Yeah, I, I really did. You like it? I, I liked it a lot. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I forget I, who you're looking at during the movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, you think you're looking at Elvis? Yeah, yeah. And some of the, you know, you thought you knew everything about Elvis <laughs> and Tom Parker, right? <laughs> which was in Tom Hanks is a home yeah. run again. Yeah, if you haven't what seen the Elvis movie, yeah, yeah. I, I would see that. Uh, so you didn't see Elvis, although that reminds me of a time. Well, I don't want to. Uh, there was a girl in my hometown, my little hometown, of on a on a good day when the missile crisis was big. We had eight hundred people there. That's about as big as we got, because we we're between two air bases, so we would sometimes fluctuate back in the day. And we're driving down the street. I'm with my brother, who in his '65 uh, Malibu convertible, mm. ragtop, white top, a red, uh, cherry red. Uh, car had the nice engine in it, and and uh, she comes running out of her house screaming his name. His name was Don. Donnie, Donnie, Donnie. I'm in the back seat with her brother and somebody else. You're not going to believe what happened, but this wasn't Elvis. She had, she was a Tom Jones knucklehead. I mean, to the point where we all kind of went, okay, yeah. And she was older than us, so, you know, we it's were not unusual. We were little punks. But she, uh, thank you very much, but she, uh, she had called and gotten somehow backstage and gotten to talk to Tom Jones. So she was just screaming. And I would think Elvis magnify that yeah. probably by some more. I just went through Graceland two years ago for the first oh, time. Oh, yeah. I've never done that. Yeah, it's worth, it's worth I, it. Well, I think just because of, I don't care what age you are. I mean, he, you know, we're talking about the Beatles changing music. Elvis changed music. Oh, absolutely. And, um, or he, or he, or he just enhanced a lot of the uh, uh, blues music, yeah, R&B great music. Great performer. Uh, yeah, I mean the movie captures that so well. I didn't know he and BB King were buddies. No, and I didn't either. And I've been to Sun Studios and I knew BB recorded there, no. but and then uh, anyway, it, it's kind of funny though. But but Elvis. You did not get a chance. I, no, to see I missed it. them, and uh, you know, we we start, I made a list once of all the concerts we've been. To. I was in the hundreds, but there were some of the. You, know, you talk about regrets. We got to see Barbara Streisand. I thought Barbara Streisand was was special. She she's a big time star and put on a great concert. Some people you might not think of as such a big name. Bette Midler's concert is so much fun. I mean, she's an entertainer, first rate entertainer. I saw Simon and Garfunkel a number of times. James Taylor, Carol King. You know, those people. I mean, luckily they toured, and there came to be a point saying. You know, this isn't going on forever, so we started trying to catch as many of those as we could. But that made me kind of look back and say, you know, I probably could have caught up with Sinatra somewhere along the way, and Elvis was here, and for some reason I didn't go. I don't imagine it crossed your mind. Maybe it did. As a journalist, you're always looking for stories and things out far in the future. When you saw the Beatles or a band like that, like a Neil Diamond, and did you think that by the time that you're older and retired, that they would still, bands like that would still be doing concerts? You know, the two you named, the answer is probably yes. There was something different 
uh, about them. I, I thought they would endure something about their their music. Uh, it just felt it, it would last. The, and the Beatles at the time, I mean, if you look at the frequency with which they were cranking out top hits that charted, I mean, there were times they had four of the top six songs in the country or in the world. And you said, this is special. I mean, this is not fly by night. And there were so many really good English groups that came through and, and I think had some really talented people. But the Beatles felt different. Neil Diamond felt different. I think Streisand certainly fit into that category. But there are a lot of people who put on great concerts and, you know, a year later you're trying to say, well, you remember much about that concert? Well, not too much. Yeah. It's just like seeing Earth, Wind & Fire. When I was a kid, they were pretty instrumental in us growing up. And so good. And I, well, I, there's no way I'm ever going to be able to see Earth when a fire nights that saw him not long ago out at Mystic Lake. And um, at the time, I think there were three originals still in the band. And I'm thinking, there's no way they could have thought 30, 40 years ago, we're still going to be packing houses well, and sounding good. It's great that so many of those bands have gotten together, maybe not with all the original people. I know you were a fan of the concerts at the zoo. Yeah. And thank heavens for the zoo and how many great acts they brought back there. They're in a really a fascinating venue. Yeah. Yeah, that was fun. And just going to the zoo, I think the amphitheater had a had a special quality because you go back and see somebody like, I went to see Boss Gags. I like Boss Gags. Was I a knucklehead? Probably not. And I walked out going, man, that's one of the best shows I've yeah, ever seen. That's right. And then uh, St. Paul and the Broken Bones, uh, another band that I like, but watching them at concert was just a, a kick because mm -hmm. they're, you know, and George Clinton and Parliament Funkadelic, they were, I mean, uh, we almost made Buddy Guy late for his show because we're in, in his in his trailer talking to him before the <laughs> hey guys I you know I gotta be on the stage like and maybe I should have been on 10 minutes ago <laughs> and we're just gabbing away it's buddy guy <laughs> but uh, Keb Moe and that, I mean they really had some great acts out. Beach Boys were out there yeah, we saw uh, Raul Malo and the Mavericks they, they, they were there I've never year. seen them I heard they're very oh, good they're terrific yeah yeah uh, Dave if you put together a concert today any band who would it be they have to be living? No, no. They don't have to be living. <laughs> oh, boy. That, that's, a, that's fast. That's a tough one. Yeah, it is. You know, um, let, me, let me sidestep that a little bit and, and, and say things I, I wish I would have seen. You know, I would have loved to have caught Marty Robbins during his heyday. When people say, what's your favorite album? My, my favorite album of all time might be Gunfighter Ballads and Trail Songs. Yeah. It's just from 1 to 12, one of the really great uh, albums, I think, the story songs. And you see him on late night TV, and he's got two guys with him with guitars, and there's no Moog synthesizers. And they just stand there, and they sing great song after, after great song. Um, you know, I, I think uh, in terms of high energy, and I've seen them a couple of times, Eagles concerts are, are really fun. Um, yeah, they put on a show, don't they? They, they, they really do. And they've got, they've got a, a great repertoire, been covered by so many uh, people. Uh, you know, one of the people covered them I never saw in their prime. I would have loved to have seen Linda Ronstadt, uh, who I understand her concerts were absolutely great. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's another one. I didn't even think about that. So, uh, yeah, it's fun to go to a show where they put a little effort into it. Uh, but there's something about music that's so, uh, you know, just so therapeutic for people. Yeah. Going now, what's the first show you took your wife to? Were you and was she your wife at the time? Uh, well, we were probably dating because I got in trouble. I was at Northrop <laughs> Auditorium, and uh, we're close enough to the same age. You remember when? 
portable radios got small and they had something called an earpiece, and there was a gopher <laughs> basketball. <laughs> uh, so we're listening to the new Christy Minstrels, and I've got the earpiece in trying to catch the gopher <laughs> basketball game a few blocks away at, at Williams Arena, and I, I think I remember her <laughs> encouraging me to put that away. Uh, so uh, we didn't get off to the best start that way, but I thought it was like a double header. I got the basketball game and I got a concert. You made me think about, we were at the Orchestra Hall watching, could it have been Bernstein? And, and the, tw- the twins were in the playoffs. Oh. <laughs> and I did the same thing. And I got ostracized quite quickly. If no one else could hear, I didn't think that was fair. I mean, I was keeping the sound only myself. I think people around me would have probably nudged me and said, how's it going? What's the score? Yeah, and after people were upset, they went, yeah, what is the score? <laughs> you know, okay, you, you made me feel bad. Now what's the score? Bit of a local in fact, hero. he had to come out after intermission, and he gave the score, and he was disgusted. He said, I don't know why I have to do this. Remember I remember Don Stoltz at the old log theater. You probably went to, at some stage, and he would come out between acts, and he'd give the twin score or whatever it is, and, and you go, yeah, all right, this guy gets it. <laughs> <laughs> well, everything's covered. Well, you didn't have a phone there to take no. a peek at, at the, the update anymore. Brandon, any thoughts for Dave? If you've interviewed anyone, what would be your favorite interview that you've ever gotten to talk to, whether it's known to other people or it's just a favorite to you? You know, that's an interesting question because a lot of my favorite interviews were with relatively unknown people where I turned out to be surprising how how interesting it was. Uh, and they might go, I, re- I remember when I covered the Twins and uh, Frank Quillacy, who became a broadcaster manager, uh, Frank was uh, a, a scrub. He was a 25th guy on a 25-man roster. And I remember getaway day, one of the years I was covering the Twins at Tinker Field in Orlando, and I had to cut through the the locker room on my way to the bus on the way to the airport and I saw Frank in there and Frank was one of my favorites and he was most guys had jammed all their stuff in their bags and were headed out and Frank was sitting in front of his locker <laughs> and I thought he'd been crying and uh, and I didn't want to pry but he was a very happy-go-lucky guy and I said Frank is everything okay he said oh yeah way, way better than okay and I said anything you can share and he said look at this and he had his pants his gray road pants and I said that's your road uniform no he said look at the waistband and inside the waistband it said Quillacy and he said this is my fourth year in spring training I never got my own name before because I always knew I'd probably get cut on the last day of camp and they didn't want to waste it and he said they had to do this probably a week ago and they, wow. and, and I knew that's how I knew I'd made the, the the team and I was going to go north with the team. Well, not a real important story, but I remember I wrote that and got feedback because I think a lot of common folk fans probably can identify more with that than Harmon Killebrew and his 500th home run. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that story. It's a great story. Yeah, Frank was loaded with personality, wasn't oh, he? Oh, yeah. He just was, I mean, he was so popular and was, you know, was popular with his managers because he gave all the talent he had. He, he left uh, out on, on the field and was a, a great teammate. Trying to uh, correlate music with sports at the time. Now in the locker room, oh. there's music going all the time. Yeah. Was there any music when you were covering, when you were doing the beat writing for the Twins? No. Yeah. No. Uh, they're, uh, 
There was, I don't have any recollection. No Sony Walkman. No, no. <laughs> they came along later and, and really changed uh, the the locker rooms. I mean, we both know coaches, high school coaches, who have their stories about you know on Thursday they could play polkas or whatever it is. It yeah. dri- drives the kids crazy, but they get to pick Monday through Wednesday and Friday. But Thursday is polka day, and there's you know music is so much associated with it. And the arrival of some, although even though the Twins had a lot of Latin players at the time, the proliferation of, of Latin players. You go into you hear so much. Uh, Spanish, Latin uh, music in locker rooms uh, these days. It's a reflection of the the changing nature of of who's playing all the sports. I don't even know when walk-up music started. Do you? I think it's a relatively recent phenomenon. I I actually read who it was, and it was, I mean, it was like in the Kirk Gibson era. It wasn't Kirk Gibson, but I mean, that recent compared to, you know, 35, 40 years ago. Wow. Dave, great having you here today. I knew we wouldn't find anything to talk about. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, I'm, what I'm worried about is we left something off. Well, part two. Um, yeah, we'll do it. We'll do, yeah. How was Joan Baez in concert? Wonderful. Was she? She was amazing. In fact, she did a Bob Dylan song that she apologized because it's about 10 minutes long, uh, uh, Rosemary and the Jack of Hearts, and it's just a phenomenal story song. And she said, I'm, you know, I always apologize when I do this because, you know, you got time to go to the bathroom or whatever. This is a long song, but stick with it. And she's, uh, I mean, she's a great voice and, and great stories because she grew up in that New York scene uh, yeah. where they were cranking all, all that music. Was she or she and Dylan an item at one time? I believe so. Okay. Yeah, the, the rumors are that. Okay, yeah, unconfirmed at this point. So uh, they may be. He did. He wrote a book, and I can't remember what he wrote about Joan Baez, but there's some chapters in that book where he talks about that music scene. And Ian Tyson died last week, and I mean Ian Tyson was part of that scene in New York. And Dylan said to him, "You ought to write some music." And Dylan was cranking him out. So Ian Tyson went home and wrote Four Strong Winds, and came in the next day and said. <laughs> I wrote this song. I'd like you to sing it for you. Tell me what you think of it. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you, what do you think of the movie A Mighty Wind? Oh, I love A Mighty Wind. <laughs> I do too. My, my, my son, uh, Eric, who was home uh, from Seattle, brought up A Mighty Wind over, over Christmas because I was, uh, he was going through my records and he put something on Facebook because uh, he'd never been through my records before and put stuff out and he, he did, said, who's the Chad Mitchell trio? <laughs> and I said, oh, you, you know, they were Kingston Trio Brothers for time. He said, play me a couple of their songs and I did and he said, were these guys the inspiration for A Mighty Wind? And then I, <laughs> I never thought of it, but it sure sounded like They it. may have been. Yeah. yeah, I forgot about that. Dave, thanks for coming in. Great to see you as always. Always a pleasure, Dave, anytime. Yeah, so Brianne, we learned a little bit about Dave, who's been successful in business, but also in writing and in broadcasting, and I didn't know this music side of him. Well, there's probably plenty more to uncover, I would assume. So. Yeah, and we'll continue to do that on this podcast uh, from the AquariusHomeServices.com studios. And our thanks to Propane at Propane.com. Learn more about that exciting alternative fuel and see what's happening there. And also brought to you by StarBank.net. That's our bank here at Talk North. And you can reach out to them right there on that website. They're great. Ten locations throughout Minnesota. And uh, the great staff over at AquariusHomeServices.com. Jeff and his staff, they are really, really good. So our appreciation for all of those folks joining us here on My First Concert. Brianne, always great to see you. Great to see you, Dave and Dave. I enjoyed it. Thank you. Made it easy for you today, Dave and Dave. And we'll see you next time on My First Concert.